Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us on another Tree Sale podcast. With me today, we have John Carefully, our chief economist, and Jerry Salaya, our chief strategist. Every month, we publish a currency focus and look at what things on the currency world that matters to our professional investors in the UK, internationally, etc. So, Jerry, you just put out the latest currency focus piece. What are some of the key points that were mentioned there? Maybe this is some highlights for our audience. Hi, James. Yeah, the key thing that we mentioned is that we have a, a slew, which is a great word, a slew of central bank meetings over the next few weeks. Uh, Bank of Japan this week, uh, Reserve Bank of Australia, Fed, and ECB next week. And I think on the 11th, we have the Bank of England meeting as well. So it's, it's basically something for everyone as far as central bank activity is concerned. So if I remember in your write-up, you mentioned about five central banks meetings between, I think the earliest is Bank of Japan, am I right? That's right, James. Yep. So yeah. Bank of Japan, we and don't expect early May. Yep. We don't expect Bank of Japan to do anything this week. It might be interesting if they actually mention that they're going to be doing something over the coming months or over the year, because we do expect them to either, one, loosen the yield curve control policy a bit more and or start to think about getting rid of some of their asset purchases or at least, you know, reducing the asset purchase programs. We're not talking quantitative tightening yet in Japan, but at some stage you would think they would need to remove some stimulus. Remember, they still have negative rates as well. So there's a lot of work to do there. So we talk about Bank of Japan. Do you agree with that, John? Yes. I mean, you've got the new governor in there. So people are interested to see whether there's any change in the tone or any indication of, of any plans in future for change. They might um, might have some kind of review of policy, for example. So people will be looking for any hint there is a plan to, to change. I think the idea is they will move very gradually because although inflation is quite high at the moment, it's above 2%. That's all temporary. It's obvious that that's temporary. Wage growth hasn't really picked up enough. And it seems pretty clear that inflation is going to go back well below the 2% target in next year. So they, Mm. they still haven't really stimulated the economy enough. We haven't got the labor market in Japan uh, as tight as it is in the US or the UK, for example. Um, So, so I think they still want to stimulate basically at the same time. I think they recognize they need to come away from the yield curve control policy and the negative rates eventually, um, but not yet. Well, uh, we talked about Japan for a few times in some of our previous podcasts and our audience can go to the podcast library and um, revisit some of the things that we talk about Japan and about yen. Okay. After Bank of Japan, that's good. I think the next one that probably is interesting will be the Fed meeting on the 3rd of May. Well, remember, we have the RBA, the Reserve Bank of Australia, right before the Fed ah, meeting. Ah, yes. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. only reason it's interesting for us is because they've already paused. And it'll be interesting to see what they say now, uh, you know, a month later, I guess. Because like John's been saying for a while now, it's one thing to pause. It's the fact that everybody expects you to pivot to lower rates. That is the tricky part of, you know, what's going to happen next in central bank world. There is a risk that they pause and they have to raise rates again. So that's why we're watching other countries to see what they do. I think Bank of Canada paused as well. And we're, we're, we're looking at them to see, what do you do next? Are you going to actually just pause and sit there for a long time, which is our core view? Or are you going to pause and raise rates again, which I think would really shock markets? Or are you going to pivot to lower rates before the end of the year, which is what the market mm. seems to be leaning to, but we're leaning against. So we're watching the RBA mm. to see what they're going to say and what they're going to do. And then you're right. We have the Fed meeting, John. 
what do we expect? Yeah, yeah, the Fed's the big one, really, for markets internationally. Yeah. Um, I think at the moment, the markets are saying there's about a 90% chance of a quarter point rise. And that's what we've been expecting, too. That'll take the range to five to five and a quarter for the Fed funds rate. And then the question is, what's what's the messaging around that? Do they say they've definitely paused? Do they indicate they've probably paused? Uh, or what exactly do they say? Our expectation is that they will in practice pause at that level. In other words, there won't be any change in the following meeting. But they'll probably also want to talk about data dependence and, and so on and so on. Uh, we think that the inflation and GDP numbers will be, uh, or activity numbers broadly, will be sufficiently supportive of them pausing for an extended period. But, but we'll see. And then we got the next day ECB. 4th of May. Yeah, I think the ECB is in a tricky situation because as, as we all know, it's you know a bunch of different views on the ECB board and some some hawks are obviously saying, look, 50 basis points at a pop, let's take this, you know, take rates a lot higher. Whereas other countries, and you've seen that specifically in Italy, you have politicians weighing in and some people in the central bank, it seems, saying that, you know, maybe moderation is better right, in terms of take it, take it slowly and not as high in terms of rate hikes. So I think they're caught in a bit of a pickle, but in the near term, and in you know, I think we're looking for them to continue to raise rates, and they may actually raise rates a few more times, even after the Fed and other central banks pause, which Ooh. is one of the reasons why we think the euro has some upside potential. Not because European rates are going to get above dollar rates, but because the spread is going to narrow a bit. John, what do you think is a terminal rate? To, uh, basically, what will be the highest? that ECB will go in terms of hiking, in terms of rates? Oh, that's a tough one. I think they might mm. do a couple more, um, maybe three more rises at most. I tend to agree with with Jerry that, that they're more likely to go 25 this time, um, mm. just because it's what the Jay Powell was talking about from the Fed, where he says, you know, you want to get them up quickly to begin with. Um, and then as you approach your peak level, uh, you want to move more more gradually, more more gently. Um, so you can sort of really, really sound out, um, you know, what the peak should be. So on that basis, uh, I would tend to tend to see that. Yeah, the last one, last but not least, is Bank of England. That's going to be on the 11th of May, shortly after King Charles' coronation. Do you think actually there'll be some interesting development to celebrate the the, the King's coronation by the central by the by Bank of England? Ah, uh, no. I think the Bank of England of all the central banks is, is probably the one in the worst pickle of all because they can't mention one of the big problems they have, which is obviously Brexit, because that's just political, right? So they can't just turn around and say, you're paying more for your sauces and tomatoes because you left the EU, which I'm sure at some point they're tempted to say, you know what I mean? And also they know the input prices are up and there's not a lot they can do about it you know, in terms of energy prices and you know food prices, stuff like that. Because raising rates to 10% won't really address those issues head on. It'll just have the knock-on effect of making everybody unemployed and you can't afford to fill up your car with petrol and or buy food. So they're stuck in a bit of a horrible situation where they can forecast inflation. And, you know, John, and I have talked about this forever and they can say inflation is going to come down. Fine. But what do you do about the 10% CPI rate that's staring at you in the face or 10.1 or whatever? Do you just ignore it? Do you say, look, two years out, it's going to be at 2% and let's, you know, cross our fingers and hope? Or do you just say, oh, well, give up the boat and raise rates to 10% and send the economy into a tailspin? So I think mm -hmm. what they're going to try to do is nudge rates higher, maybe one more time-ish. Maybe they could actually afford to not do it and point to 
their view on inflation, which is it's going to come down and come down hard. John, I think you kind of agree with me on most of this, or? Yes, I agree with you on, on the UK. I mean, I think in the UK, they were too slow to, to raise rates last year. I mean, they started before some of the other countries, but then went quite slowly. And I think they would have done better to have gone faster just for that signal. But as you say, the, the Bank of England's forecast suggests that inflation will come down quite nicely to 2% and then even below 2% in 2024, 25 so the way their model works out, they they actually don't want to raise rates too much because then they'll undershoot in a couple of years' time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that really creates a, a dilemma for them. I think the mm-hmm. way out probably is a quarter point this meeting, um, but then leaving it completely open, of course, as to the next meeting, because they don't give quite the same guidance usually because it does depend on the individual votes of the Monetary Policy Committee. Mm-hmm. Okay, we talk a lot about uh, the central bank, our view of what the central bank will do. So let's look at specifically what... Let's start with the dollar. What do you think? Are they? I think our expectation over the this year is dollar is going to weaken against the major currency. Are we still having that view? This, uh, given that what you both said about the Fed, I, I think so. And it, this is basically going back to you know the discussions that John and I and you have had since twenty twenty when we first formed Tricia, is that we were looking for short term biases for dollar strength, and that came through in spades in twenty twenty two. Um, even more than we initially expected. And then John's always had the view that th- these things swing in cycles. We call it the r- rubber band theory, which we've always used in our FX studies going back to the 80s, which is currencies tend to trend, then they tend to overextend, then they tend to snap back to quote unquote a fair value of some sort. Now, John and I have had huge discussions with you, James, about PPP and all sorts of different ways to measure you know, where the fair value for the dollar is, if, if you will, for, for fair value in currencies is mm. a different subject. But I think where we laid out last year is still in play. And John was saying, we're going to see some dollar strength and we're going to see the dollar strength ebb as as circumstances change. And as we get to the terminal, hopefully terminal rate of the Fed, and you see them raise rates at 5% and stick around there for a while, other central mm-hmm. banks may push rates up a little bit more. Then I, my view is you'll see a lot of the dollar support continue to give way because the dollar is right now still very strong on an historical basis. We're still more or less below 110 in the euro. We're still below 130 in cable. And dollar yen is still above 125. These are actually strong levels for the dollar if you take a 20-year perspective, right? Or even 30-year. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. The dollar mm-hmm. has room to give up some strength. Now, we're not going to talk about the Swiss franc because that's a completely different kettle of fish in terms of dollar mm-hmm. trend because that's just Swissy, mm-hmm. right? But I think my view is that John's going to be happier this year because cable is going to move away from the 120 zone Towards the 140 zone. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, John. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, uh, Jerry. I mean, uh, and Jerry, of course, you're the one that puts numbers on our on our currency forecasts. And, and I think you've put some fairly chunky moves over the next year for quite a lot of the currencies, uh, you know, 10% move or something like that. But I know that's yes. not much for currencies to move. They can move that in a, in a couple of weeks sometimes. Um, but nevertheless, it's, it, these are quite significant differences from the forward rates. But I agree with you. I think we've been through this period of, of dollar strength, um, which is really driven by the uh, the Fed, you know, acting very strongly to raise rates. Uh, uh, and in Europe, you know, lagging behind, and the UK lagging behind, and the UK's got its own problems as well. Um, but as the US economy turns, and I think it is finally turning towards this recession that we've been talking about for a long time, you know, the Fed is going to peak. It won't cut rates quickly, but I think it will cut them next year. Uh, and meanwhile, I think inflation could be somewhat more persistent uh, in the Europe and the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to keep interest rates 
relatively higher for relatively longer. Uh, and that certainly turns the, uh, the dollar around. It's one of those things where we're not looking for cable rates to be above dollar rates in terms of short term. We're not looking for interest rate at six percent. We interest rate. Yeah. Yeah. We're just looking for the differential to narrow a little bit. So that's why we're yeah. not talking about cable at 170 or two. We're saying mm. you know, 140, which is since since uh, Brexit, it seems to be the peak on 140 to 144. So we're saying we're going to yeah. go to the top of the range. And even that level is below the, the pound versus dollar, as you say, the cable before Brexit wall. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I said John's going to be happy. I didn't say John's going to be ecstatic. John being ecstatic, I think, would see cable restored to the 1.5, 1.75 sort of range that dominated for much of the 90s and stuff, where we tend, we seem mm. to trade back and forth and we'd have overextensions to maybe two now and then or underplays down to 135. It'll take time. But maybe we see 140 over the next six. I think, uh, yeah, I think ecstatic for me would be at two again. But <laughs> I don't think we'll I, see that. I think a lot of people in the UK would be pricing up American holidays again. Um, pretty, pretty, pretty quickish if we saw two. How about sterling versus euro then? Oh, James, is it going to go so, nowhere? Just it's we, been we so talk boring about for the last time. four or five months. That's right. Yeah, even, even during the trust tantrum. We didn't get the huge spikes that you know we could have traded on. So yeah, it's just one of those things where euro sterling it's locked in a range. I can't see anything that that'll get us kicked out of that range. Uh, John, I, well, I tend to agree with you. It's uh... so no impact if I actually go to Europe for holiday. Then no matter how much you spend, James, I don't think it'll have an impact <laughs> on the range. How about dollar yen? I think it's interesting because that's a, a, a important currency pair uh, to lo- lo- which could affect uh, Japanese equities. Yeah, that's right. So it's one of those things where we saw the move last year where dollar yen traded above 150 uh, for a brief period of time. We saw the Bank of Japan come in and the Ministry of Finance protest. Then we saw them expand their yield range from 0.25 around zero, around zero basis points to 50 basis points around uh, zero. And that seemed to give the yen a bit of a shot in the arm. And we saw the move down to around 127, 126 and change, which is a big move from 150 plus to 126 plus. It's it's a big move in a matter of weeks. But since then, we've consolidated uh, quite a lot around the 130, 135 zone in dollar yen. And it's like we're waiting for the other shoe to drop, which is why we mentioned Bank of Japan this week. And John laid out the case for them having to take a patient approach to removing some stimulus. We're not even talking tightening mm-hmm. in, in an aggressive way yet. We're just saying removing some stimulus, maybe loosening the yield curve control, maybe you know hinting at asset purchase reductions, that sort of stuff. And if those steps are taking, and we're right about the Fed calling time at 5%, let's say, then my view is dollar-yen could start moving below 127, 125, and move towards 120, and maybe a little bit lower, back to the you know, 110, one sort of range that we saw previously. John, what do you think? Do you agree with Jerry's wheel? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Yep. So that's the case with Japanese equities, to a certain extent, right? Well, the thing with Japanese equities is that we all grew up in the 90s, effectively, where a weak yen would help equities and a strong yen would not help equities. And that mindset has to sort of adjust these days to say that a yen returning to a normal range may not clobber equities. And then that's a big call. John, I, I think you agree with me on this? Yeah, I think I think that's broadly right. I mean, it may depend, obviously, exactly what equities you've got. I mean, there uh, used to be that we, that the uh, market was very much Japanese exporters. And so yeah, the, yeah. the yen would affect it. But if you have a more domestically oriented portfolio, then I think this is a different story. Okay, let me just slightly dig- uh, digress into another topic. I've just been back from Zimbabwe for a short holiday. Two interesting things stand out. The first is when I went to one of the supermarkets 
and saw the prize. They got a soap, basically uh, a three foot long soap bar. It's called one thousand eight hundred uh, Zimbabwe dollars. I said, "Wow, how much is that?" Uh, then I look it up, and actually, that's about one dollar. So roughly, <laughs> it's around that rate, maybe one or two dollars. So just tell you, we all know Zimbabwe is that, and obviously, no one uses Zimbabwe dollars, especially tourists. The U.S. dollar is the main currency. In fact, you Google it, you say, what's the currency for Zimbabwe? They didn't say Zimbabwe dollar. They say U.S. dollar. So U.S. dollar is a reserve currency, as we all know, and I read about this all the time. So, John, remind us briefly, why the dollar gaining that reserve currency status? Why not yen? Why not Swiss franc? Well, if you look at the history of it, the, it's usually the dominant economy that uh, has the reserve currency. So in the 19th century, it was sterling. And that lasted up until the First World War. And then First World War really devastated British finances. And, and also by then it was obvious that the UK was much smaller economy than the US. So the US dollar gradually took over in the interwar years. And then you had the Bretton Woods Agreement in 1944, which set up the dollar exchange standard. So the dollar was pegged to gold and other currencies then pegged to the dollar. So that mm. made the, the dollar the center of the international financial system. And of course, at that point, the U.S. economy was about 50 percent of the world economy. Mm, um, mm, and mm, gradually, mm. obviously, as other countries recovered from the war, that percentage came down. But U.S. is still a big part of the global economy. It also still has the largest single bond market. So. I think this is the problem the euro has, for example, in becoming a reserve currency, that you still have, for the most part, the bond markets are segmented into the national bond markets. So we so. stay as a reserve currency. I think there was an article in the FT the other day basically mentioning some of the developing markets like China, India, etc. were going with the idea of their own little reserve currency they could trade with each other to avoid U.S. using dollar to, they use the word weaponize. In other words, like the Russia case, they stop U.S. dollar transaction and things like that. Do you think actually U.S. dollar will lose the reserve status? No, I don't. Not for a very long time. I think mm. there could be, as you say, some more bilateral trading like that. I mean, the other quite big news was Saudi Arabia saying that it would trade the oil in, in other, than, other than dollars, <clears throat> which it didn't use to. So I think we'll, we'll see a little bit more trading like that. But there really is no obvious uh, replacement for, for most people around the world. They, they, want, they want to trade with a big, stable currency, a big, stable country. The U.S. does a lot of trade. And, and they also want that uh, deep capital market uh, and reliable economic policies. So mm. China, I mean, the, China would perhaps love to have the yuan as a reserve currency, but, but their markets are not open. You can't freely trade in and out there. So there's quite a lot of lack of transparency, shall we say, about policy. So I, I just can't see investors, for example, ordinary investors in the Middle East wanting to use the yuan as their main currency. So, mm. yes, I mean, the US, I think at the moment has about 60 percent of, of foreign exchange reserves are held in US dollars, mm. about 20 percent in, in euros. Uh, that could go down a little bit, but I think the, the dollar will still dominate for many, many years. Well, some commentators think that they may go back, some central banks may hedge the position against dollar may lose its place somewhat, uh, somehow by buying more gold. I think the FTPs, they say nine of the top 10 buyers in gold are developing world, including Russia, India and China. Jerry, I know you... I shouldn't mention gold because you can argue whether gold is a commodity or currency, but let's mention it anyway and say you obviously have been looking at gold price for a little piece and you've been quoted by some journalists as well. So what 
is this central bank buying actually causing the recent rise in, in, in gold price? To some extent, yeah. Basically, you saw the price of gold zoom from 1600 an ounce in late 2022 to um, above 2000 over the last few months. Uh, and mm. you got up to, I think, 2040 plus. You still haven't broken the COVID 2072 high per ounce in dollars that we saw back, I think, in 2020. Mm. You haven't broken that yet, but it, it was a big bounce. And I think it was on the view that one, central banks were potentially ready to ease rates. The idea that central banks were easing rates seems to send gold bugs into a tizzy and they go, wow, back to end of fiat money because you guys are debasing your currencies, blah, blah, blah. Inflation is running high. You should buy gold, which is fine. That, that's an argument they've had forever. Mm-hmm. And like you said, the, the view that central banks are trying to de-dollarize their uh, reserves, which holding gold doesn't really make to me, a lot of sense because it's one of those things that you got to exchange gold for something. And at some one stage, given the way currency markets work, you're going to go through the dollar. So I've been to a bunch of seminars this year and late last year and actually last year as well. Um, and yeah, all the all the main bank players were there giving speeches about why China in particular would want to um, not use dollars because if they invade Taiwan, they don't want to have U.S. take away their exchange privileges using SWIFT mm. or mechanisms to transfer currencies. So they'd be well placed to, it depends on who you talk to, Bitcoin, gold, their own crypto, digital currency, whatever. Basically, the idea is to avoid the U.S., uh, hegemony, if you will, on, on currency mm-hmm. trading and the, and the currency exchange mechanisms that we have set up in the world right now. But remember, and to some extent, what John was saying about you know the dollar's position as uh, the global reserve currency, right? the French moaned about this, didn't they, John? Wasn't it de Gaulle who kept calling it the exorbitant privilege that the dollar held over the world? Which not everybody's happy, and they've not been happy forever with the dollar's role as a reserve currency. So these complaints and the idea that they're going to go into gold instead. They've been around for a long time, James. Mm. Politicians, for whatever reason, don't like the fact that the U.S. uses the fact that the dollar is the world's reserve currency in order to, like John said, basically everybody trades bonds, everybody holds bonds, and the U.S. can run these huge debts without having the consequences of having huge debts. So do you think gold price will actually go high in the short term? Myself, not really. I mean, I think basically our view is that the Fed's not going to cut rates anytime soon. So I think a lot of the gold price move from 1600 to over 2000 was on the view that central banks are about to cut rates. I think that's wrong. I think they have one more rate hike in, in, in the, up their sleeves, and they're going to pause for a long time into 2024. Interesting. So I Interesting. think the fizzle that went into the gold trade is going to come out. Now, having said that, people like to think that if the dollar goes down, gold goes up, right? Because gold will hold mm. its value in other currencies. The problem with that view is that obviously the dollar has been swinging around a bit and gold prices have as well. So my view, mm. and this time around, and it's always dangerous to say this time is different, but I think we'll see the dollar, let's say euro dollar, go back up to 120. And I wouldn't be surprised if gold didn't break to new highs. And in fact, gold pulled back to 1800 or 1600 or so. Last question from me. And it's completely unrelated to currency, but let's end because we, with, with this conversation because we talk about gold anyway. A lot of the professional advisors and wealth managers I spoke to uh, don't like, I use the word like, but probably the word is don't recommend using gold because they say is, the word I, I heard is emotional assets. So basically, in our words, this asset, this asset class, the price is affected a lot by emotion, which is, I think is actually all assets are affected by emotion, but there you go. 
or they think it's a trading asset. Now, there's no black or white answer to it. Maybe I just want to sh- hear from your view, from both of you, whether gold has a play- place for long-term investors in their portfolio. Okay, I mean, well, personally, I'm not a fan of gold in portfolios, really. It's um, it just, I mean, it's it has its historic role as a sort of currency and store of value, but uh, it doesn't, doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me, and especially with you not getting any yield from it. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not a fan. And then looking at the particular price at the moment, of course, you are at the top of the range that we've seen. So uh, buying now is quite risky, it seems to me. There's quite a lot of potential downside here. If you bought it at 1600 maybe that would be a safer place to buy it. Yeah, it's, it's I, I've always seen gold and I've always you know analyzed gold. And my first exposure to technical analysis was silver market and gold market back in the very early 80s. So I've always seen it as a commodity that you trade rather than a currency. But I do value the fact that you know a lot of currency people use it, and gold is traded in a lot of currency desks, which is fine. You can use gold in different currencies and express it that way. But usually, you come back to the dollar market. For private investors, retail investors, even professional investors, I, I get it. Depending where you're from, gold has a certain intrinsic value that you want it from. I call it because you've got to pack up and leave in a hurry. Sort of uh, transactional demand for it, right? And it's also a way to hide your wealth. He says politely. Um, in certain cultures like India, where you know they have all sorts of restrictions, and we've got to think about the U.S., where for a long time you couldn't, you know, basically hold a heck of a lot of gold, right? You had to register, and the government had some sort of price tag on what thirty-five dollars an ounce was, was official uh, level for gold for a while. So it's one of those things mm-hmm. where people kept gold in forms of jewelry. I, I remember close family members had belts made of gold with big gold coins, and that's just what they did. Right. And throughout Latin America, throughout the Middle East and throughout Asia, China in particular, you do find people who basically hold gold for a variety of, you know, quote unquote, it makes me feel safe reasons. Now, Mm. that's fine if you're going to hold gold coins, ingots under your basement, stuff like that. But the idea that you're going to hold gold in a certificate form or an ETF and or some offshore banking haven and rely on an emergency seems a bit daft to me because in an emergency, you may not have internet access, you may not have travel facilities, and you'd probably want to have gold closer to hand, gold coins, mm. rings, things like that, cufflinks even, mm. uh, necklaces, jewelry, mm. and why not, right? So whenever I give talks about gold, I say, here's the price, here's what I think. At certain levels, you may want to go out there and top up your, um, I think in the UK, we have the gold sovereigns, right? And you always see them at auction houses, you just got to negotiate the price. And why not, right? They're easy to carry and they have intrinsic value. Nobody, mm. there is some value in terms of how old they are, how rare they are, but the vast majority of the value is and how heavy is it and what's the purity of the gold. Okay, thanks for everyone's uh, listening. I basically, I think uh, to sum up, I think the our view about dollar uh, probably start to weaken a bit more, uh, continue to hold. We expect the Fed may probably do one more hike at least in May. And uh Probably sterling is going to strengthen against the dollar. Sterling versus euro is going nowhere. So, but uh, upside in gold is whether you see it as a commodity or a currency popular is limited. So, with this conclusion, I'd like to thank everyone for listening. Thank you, John. Thank you, Jerry, in participating in this podcast. Uh, we have different podcasts on different asset classes market strategies and importantly jargons and educational stuff so feel free to visit our library and listen to some of the stuff that we actually recorded previously you could also visit our website 3co 
dash advisors with an o.com uh, we got other blogs etc that you could read really thank you and until the next uh, podcast hope everyone have a good day